Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, if you are new to Chi Alpha, my name is Pete Bulet, and I am the director of Chi Alpha here at the University of Virginia. And so I'm glad to meet you, and hopefully I'll meet you in person at some point. We're glad that you are with us tonight. We are in the middle of a series called um, In Christ, and it is a book, or it is a series through the book of Ephesians that we are studying through. And we are going to do the second half of chapter three tonight. We're going to look at the second half of chapter three, but it's going to take me a little bit to get to the text specifically. I want to set some things up. One thing you'll notice as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians is that the first three chapters are about who we are in Christ. In fact, there is not one imperative statement in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. In other words, there's no do in the first three chapters of Ephesians. There's nothing that, you're, that says do this. It's all about who you are. And so we learned that we have a new identity as a child of God in Christ. We've learned that we have the resources of the kingdom through the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've learned that we've been saved by grace through faith, not by our works so that no one can boast. We have learned that he has plans and purposes for us prepared in advance for us to do. We've learned that we've been entrusted with the gospel. We have learned wonderful things as we've learned who we are in Christ. And tonight we are going to come to a passage that is uh, stunning. It's absolutely stunning. In fact, um, when I was growing up, I remember my family went on a vacation out west. And so we piled into the minivan and we drove to a place in Wyoming called the Grand Tetons in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And I don't know if you've ever been there or not. I've only been there this once. And um, when I beheld the Tetons, they were so majestic. 25 years later, I still remember how powerful it was to see them. I don't, you, you can look it up on Google, I'm sure, and it just is not quite the same. I mean, you can get a sense, but when you're there and you see the glory and the majesty of these mountains... Um, a famous preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said this. He said, you'll never hear anything that's equal to our text tonight. And then he said this, it is a great mountain peak of Scripture. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at a mountain peak of Scripture. We're going to gaze at the glory. And I'm just going to give you the punchline. We're going to gaze at the glory of his love for us. I I, I love how... um, it was shared just a minute ago how God loves these people and wants to take, bring them from death into life. We're going to look at the glory of God's love for us. And as we do, hopefully we will have the truth of it saturate our hearts deeply. Now, here's the, here's the thing I'd like to do first. I want to talk about, before we read the text, I want to talk about one, one of the number one things that keeps us from being able to live out the reality that we are loved by God. The number one thing that I think keeps us from being able to live out that reality, and it's this, it's the power of shame, the power of shame. Um, Some of you may say, well, what is shame and where does it come from? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) All right, let me give you a definition of shame that we're going to be using tonight that I think kind of capsulates the reality of shame. Then we're going to talk about where it came from, then we're going to read our passage. Shame is this. Shame is a sense 
of not being enough, a sense of deficiency, inferiority, inadequacy, insufficiency, and unworthiness. It is, shame is a sense that you are flawed and unworthy of acceptance. It's this deep sense that I'm flawed and unworthy of acceptance. So where does this come from? It's interesting as we read the very beginning of the Bible and the second chapter, the end of the creation account, we get a, a summary um, statement about what life was like before the fall, before sin entered into humanity. And it says this, that Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay. In other words, they were totally vulnerable. They were naked. They, they, they were totally vulnerable. And yet there was no sense of not, be, uh, not being enough. There's no sense of deficiency or inferiority or unworthiness or, or lack of acceptance. They were naked, but they had no shame. And then we see sin comes into the, the human experience and, 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 and pounces on Adam and Eve. And what do they do? They do two things. They go and hide from God and they cover up themselves with fig leaves because now as shame is a part of their experience, they're hiding. Okay, here's what, um, let me just say this about shame. Shame is something that you experience inside of you, but is incredibly social. In other words, when you experience shame, there's something inside of you, but it causes you to pull back from other people. It causes you to pull back from God, pull back from others and want to hide, which is exactly what was happening with Adam and Eve. In fact, um, one author, a Christian psychiatrist, uh, Kurt Thompson wrote a book called The Soul of Shame. And he said this, he said that to be human is to be infected with this phenomenon we call shame. In other words, there's no one who's been unimpacted by shame. Uh, let, me, let me just do a little uh, survey for you guys and uh, humor me for a second. I'm ask you a couple questions to kind of help you maybe feel where maybe shame has been in your life in the past. Uh, how, how about let's go back to middle school, those dreaded days of middle school, or maybe high school, if that's a little safer, you can go back to high school. Um, <laughs> And, and, and I'm going to give you a statement. I just want to say, how would you fill in this statement? The statement would be this. I was not blank enough. I was not blank. How would you fill in that blank? I was not blank enough. Would you say that you were not smart enough? Or you were not pretty enough? Or you were not tall enough? Or you were not athletic enough? You weren't popular enough. You weren't developed enough. You weren't skinny enough. You weren't strong enough. You weren't important enough. You weren't charismatic enough, wealthy enough, funny enough, desirable enough. How did you fill in that blank? Okay, now let's fast forward to your life now. How, how would you fill in this blank? I am, I am not blank enough. I mean, you know all of the propensities of your flesh. You know all of your own sin, at least as much as you're aware of. Then you're surrounded by people who are extremely gifted and talented at UVA and who, who seem like they have it all together. And then you get on social media and you see, indeed, they have it all together. As you consume their curated life where you get their third take of the selfie and not the first two, and you only get the highlights. And sure enough, as you look at, at their life and your suspicion, they have it all together. While you're very aware you do not have it all together, 
shame starts to creep to the surface of your life. And let me tell you, that will be ever-present in your life unless that the darkness of shame is brought into the light of the gospel. So what does it look like in our day in, day out? It, it looks, well, it can impact your work. It can impact the way you approach your work. Um, for many of us, we are perfectionists when it comes to our work. It's um, something that you're compelled to go the extra mile in your work. And that's not necessarily a bad thing unless it is somehow this perfectionism that is trying to overcome your sense of shame, your sense of inadequacy, your sense of not being enough. And so you can't just be average. You have to be excellent because you do not want, well, frankly, because you're trying to work away your sense of shame of not being enough. And so you're going to prove that you're enough through your work. And what happens when you do that? It's full of pressure. It's full of anxiety. Um, Brene Brown, an author, says this, that when perfectionism is at the wheel, that in the passenger seat is shame, and in the back seat is anxiety. And for some of you, I just explained your life to you. Because I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, "Uh uh-huh. And so it can impact our work. It can also impact our friendships, and it can sound something like this. Well, their friendship, or my friendship with them means more to me than their friendship with me means to them. And there's this sense that you're always just fortunate that they're your friend, and that, and that somehow they matter more to you than you matter to them. Shame. It can impact our walk with God. Well, what does it sound like there? It's this idea that, that you are convinced that when God thinks of you, his feeling is one of disappointment. That you're fairly convinced that God is disappointed with you rather than loves you in Christ by his grace. And so we see that it can impact the way we do our work, the way we go around, about go about the world. It can impact our friendships. It can impact our walk with God. And there really is nothing that shame doesn't end up impacting. And so our passage tonight is this beautiful uh, truth that can help us overcome the power of shame and break the power of shame in our life so that we can live a different way. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. And here's what we know in the gospel. The gospel has the power to forgive us of our sin but it also has the power to free us of shame. And so we're going to look at one of the most shame-freeing passages of Scripture tonight. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 14 through 19 um, as we study this passage tonight. Verse 14 says this, For this reason... I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Okay, so Paul says, for this reason, I kneel. Now, here's what you need to know. A Jewish man in that day would normally pray standing up. And so when he says that I am praying kneeling, he's speaking of the earnestness by which he is praying. So what this prayer that he is praying over the Ephesians and therefore um, hoping for all of God's people is something that he earnestly desires for them to experience, okay? So this is like passionate, earnest prayer because he wants this to be a part of their life. 
And he says this in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and whom or through through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he says, I want the spirit to dwell in you so that to to come into your life so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And he's going to speak about how Christ will dwell in their hearts, what it will look like when Christ dwells in their heart, okay? He says this, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Paul says, I pray for you this, that you would be rooted and established in love. What does that mean? These are actually two word pictures that Paul is talking about. You'll notice that I have a tree behind me because the first picture, being rooted in love, is a, a, a picture from botany. And I am no botanist, but... I do know a couple things about trees because over the last couple years, I have had a deep fascination with trees. I don't know something about the pandemic and even before the pandemic, I fell in love with trees. I know it's kind of weird, but I love trees. We planted several trees. Here's what happened. I planted several trees and the guy who planted my trees said this. He says, "Um, here's what you need to know. These trees we just planted... They're going to, it's going to take them a while for them to get a good root system. So I'm going to plant this tree. I bought it at Lowe's just for this illustration, but I'm going to plant this tree in my yard. It's a pear tree, okay? So hopefully someday I'll get a pear. I don't know. We'll see. But here's what I know. He said this, when you plant a tree, year one, it sleeps. Year two, it creeps. Year three, it leaps. Why? Okay, I thought that was pretty cool. Why? Because year one, when you plant it, the roots have to take hold. And so all the work is being done underneath the surface. And here's what I know, that the fruit of this tree will come from the root of the tree. Right, yeah, very good. So the life of the tree, the health of the tree will flow from the roots, right? That is the most important part of this tree. So you will see nothing happen. Maybe you'll get some leaves, but nothing, there isn't going to be fruit. It's not going to grow by leaps and bounds year one because it's going to be asleep because all the root system will be taking hold underneath the surface. And what Paul says is this, I want your life to be rooted in the love of God. I want the roots of your life to be nourished by God's love and let the love of God nourish you and then it will bear the good fruit. Are you guys following me? But the, he says, I want your life to be planted in the soil of God's love. So the first picture is one of being rooted. The second says rooted and established. That is a picture of building. Okay, I bought this too. <laughs> Didn't just have, happen to have a cinder block in the backyard or anything. So, um, it's a picture of building. It's it's from it's a picture from architecture. Now, I am not a builder, but I have done a little bit of work on buildings in my day. In fact, one time I was on a, a trip overseas and we were um, building an orphanage, and that entire week we did nothing but one thing: we dug the foundation. An entire week of digging and getting it ready for the foundation. Because here's what you know, or here's what I know, and I think you know as well. 
that every building is only as strong as its foundation. Yes, a building is only as strong as its foundation. So you must have a strong foundation so it can carry the weight of the building. And what Paul says is, I want you to build the foundation of your life on one reality. And that is the love of God that I want you to put the fa- as a foundation of your life. I want your life to be undergirded by one profound, powerful truth. And that is that you are loved in Christ. And so he says, I want you to be rooted and established in love. Okay. So what happens if your life is rooted and established in shame, not love? In this sense that you're deficient, unacceptable, unworthy, not enough. Here's what's going to happen. When you experience that foundation of shame, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to puff up and make yourself bigger than you really are. What's going to look like is this. You're going to go out and work and you're going to work yourself to the grind to try to prove that you are worthy, that you to try to prove that you're enough, to try to prove that your greatest fears about yourself, your greatest sense of, uh, um, yeah, sense of fear about yourself is not true. Somehow push away the sense you're not enough and, and, and push yourself forward to show that you are. And in the, Meantime, be full of fear and anxiety and pressure and puff up. Or relationally, you may puff up. You may come to this moment in a relationship to where you are, are very aware of this sense that, that there's, you have this feeling that there's something wrong with you. And relationally, how do you respond to that? You puff up and you get angry, you get bitter, and you say, there isn't something wrong with me, there's something wrong with you. And you puff up in that relationship. Because of the feeling of shame causes you to swell up. And so you'll go that direction. Or the other thing you can do when you're rooted and established in shame is this. You can shrink back. And when you hit that moment where you feel like you're, you're not enough, you're insufficient, you're unworthy, you will shrink back and make yourself smaller than you are. You will pull back from other people. You'll start ghosting people when they text you. Because you will have a sense inside of you that you are not enough. And what does the gospel do in our lives? It says, no, don't puff up. Don't shrink back. Just stand rooted in the love of God. Just stand there and know that you are rooted in the love of God. Stand on the firm foundation that your life is undergirded in the fact that you are loved in Christ by God. And so you don't need to shrink back. You don't need to puff yourself up. You can just stand in the reality that you are loved by God. Let's keep reading. He says this in verse 18, that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Paul says, what I pray for you is this, is that you would somehow be able to grasp the limitless love of God for you. This love that is, as John Stott said, wide enough to encompass 
Jews and Gentiles, long enough to carry us into eternity, deep enough to rescue us out of our sin and out of our shame and out of our depravity and high enough to seat us with Christ in the heavenly realm, this limitless dimension of God's love. He wants you to grasp just how grand the love of God for you is in Christ. And then if that's not enough, listen to this, verse 19. He says this, And I also want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You're like, that's an oxymoron, Paul. How can you know stuff that surpasses knowledge? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. See, Paul knows that our minds can't totally grasp the greatness of God's love. You'll never be able to plumb the depths of God's love. But you may not be able to comprehend it intellectually, but you can apprehend it experientially. He says, because there's two types of knowledge. There's the head knowledge and then there's heart knowledge. There's the experiential knowledge. And what Paul's saying is this, you may not totally be able to plumb the depths of it in your head, but you can experience it. You can apprehend it in your heart. And he says, oh, I pray that you would be able to know the love that surpasses your your finite brain's ability to process the love of an infinite God for you. Wow. And then he says this, the end of verse 19, that the results of all this would be that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Can I give you the Pete Bulette paraphrase of that? He says this, that as you start to grasp the depth of God's love for you, you will start to grow in your walk with God. You will start to experience the fullness of God in your life. David Brenner wrote a book called Surrender to Love, I highly recommend the book. It's a fantastic book. And he says this. He says, knowing ourselves to be deeply loved by God is the first step in becoming genuinely great lovers of others and God. In other words, as your life is rooted and established in God's love, the very foundation of your life is rooted and established in God's love, then, then, You will begin to grow as someone who can love God in return and love others well. As you build on this foundation, he goes on to say this, you simply cannot bask in divine love and not be affected. You simply cannot bask in divine love and not be affected. In other words, as you bask in love, as you surrender to to the greatness, the limitless dimensions of God's love, you will start to be taken by the current of God's love and it will lead you to greater Christ's likeness. That's the direction that the love of God is going to take you. And so the maturity of your life, the, 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 the growing in your faith will start by having roots in his love and being firmly established in his love. Um. I have a friend who is a, an author. I spent a couple of weeks with him on my sabbatical a few years ago, and his name is Michael John Cusick, and he said something to me when I was with him that was really revolutionary to me. He said, shame is like a raincoat around the soul 
that it's like a raincoat around the soul that keeps you from being able to absorb the living water of Jesus that makes you the beloved. So it's the it's like a raincoat around the soul that keeps you from being able to absorb the living water of Jesus that makes you the beloved. In other words, let me put it in, in, in these words. You can hear a lot about God's love, and yet it seems not to absorb in. It just seems to repel. Like somebody could tell you about how much God loves you, and you, and you could believe it for somebody else, but for you, it's like you've got this raincoat around your soul called shame that, that says, I am unworthy of being loved. I'm unacceptable. That can't be true of me. And therefore, you, I mean, you wouldn't say that out loud, but internally, somehow this raincoat of shame causes you to deflect the living water that Jesus is wanting to pour on you that makes you the beloved, that helps you know how deeply loved you are. And as I was reading this, I was just struck how in verse 18, he says this, I pray that you may have power together with all the saints to know how high and wide and long and and deep is the love of Christ. Okay. In other words, it really struck me that he says this. You and I are on this journey together, that we together should go on the journey of realizing how loved we are. And here's the reason why. Because sometimes we don't just need propositional truth. Where we read it, oh, oh, there it is. We need the truth to be embodied for it to get in. Ultimately, that's what Jesus was. He was the embodiment of truth, right? But when we experience the truth in community, the truth that we read, we experience in community, it's almost as if the community comes up to us and loves us in a way that says, here, let me help you take the raincoat of shame off of you so you can know just how much you're loved. So together with all the saints, could we join together and take each other's raincoat of shame off and encourage and affirm and speak love and truth over each other and help people realize how beloved they are in Christ? That's the picture that Paul is going for. We're told in the Gospels that Jesus was arrested. And when they arrested him, they did what was customary for crucifixions. They stripped him naked. And they crucified him. Why'd they do that? Because it was the ultimate shaming experience to be crucified. And to be exposed naked was the ultimate shaming experience. And to be hung on a cross, the ultimate shaming experience. Jesus died in shame. Why? Why did Jesus die in shame? Well, Jesus died in shame, but he rose again victorious over death and over shame so that he could come to you. And he could say, hey, give me that raincoat of shame and hang it on my cross. And I want you to understand that I died on the cross in shame so that your shame could be removed, so that you could be restored as who you're intended to be, a child of God, a son and daughter of the king. And as a child of God, it means that you are eternally loved. It means that you are totally 
forgiven. You are extremely valued and you are fully capable to do every good work that he's prepared in advance for you to do. The gospel is a gospel of good news that seeks to break the shroud of shame in our lives and in the lives of everyone who walks the grounds of Virginia and everyone who's infected by the reality of shame. A couple years ago, I was in a conversation with an adoptive parent. And this adoptive parent was talking about his journey as, a, as an adoptive father and um, talked about how his child had gone through a lot of ups and downs and how difficult it had been. And um, he talked about how he and his wife would just weep and cry to watch his son go through a lot of these challenges. And then he said something that I have not forgotten since. He said this. He said, we love our son so much, but he lives like he's an orphan. And when he said that, I thought to myself, I wonder how many of us do the same thing. How often do I, who's so deeply loved in Christ by God, Live as if I'm an orphan. I have a tradition that I do with my two youngest kids. Um, when it's bedtime, I will often go to them and um, I'll say, Hey, Jeremiah, I have a secret for you. And he's like, Yeah, I know, I know. And I'll go over to his bedside, and I'll whisper in his ear a secret. Now, I will tell you the secret, but you cannot tell him, okay? I'll say, Jeremiah. I'll cut my hands around his ear, and I'll bend over, and if Amy has been in the room, she has to leave, okay? I'll say this. I love you so much, and I am so glad you're my son. I love you so much and I'm so glad you're my son. And then I'll say this, and I hope you never, ever forget it. I know, dad, I know, dad. And I'll go into Nevaeh's room. I'll lean over her bed. I'll say, Nevaeh, I love you so much. And I'm so glad you're my daughter. And as I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but think that your Heavenly Father wants you to hear that spoken over you. He enjoys you. He delights in you. He wants you to hear, you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you so much. And I am so glad that you're my daughter, that you're my son. Brendan Manning, who is an author, he said this. He said, I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, 
Jesus is going to ask us a question, and the question is going to be this. This is conjecture, but this is what he believes based on God's word. That the question that Jesus is going to ask is this. Did you believe that I loved you? Friends, Paul prays for these people. The church in Ephesus and therefore for us in the scriptures, he, he prays that we would be rooted and established in love and have power together with all the saints to know how deep and how wide and how long and how high is the love of Christ, that you would know the love that surpasses knowledge. He wants you to root and establish your life on this truth. And no longer live rooted and established in a sense of shame, but live rooted and established in a sense of God's love for you in Christ. In Christ, you are loved and you are enough. Perhaps tonight, you're not a follower of Jesus. But as I've spoken of the power of shame, you've recognized that shame is ever present in your life and and the reason is because this world has fallen there's sin in this world and Jesus came to break the curse of sin to so you could be totally forgiven so that you could be rooted in God's love and if that's you tonight I want to encourage you to do a very simple thing and that is to turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus and place your trust in him and let him begin to take the raincoat of shame off. Let him begin to forgive you of your sins and restore you to a new life rooted and established in God's love. And then he'll dwell on your heart and he's going to do two things. He's going to rule over your heart and he's going to renovate your heart with his love, with his love. So tonight, if that's you, I want to encourage you to repent, to place your faith in Jesus, and surrender to his love. Heavenly Father, for those that are watching, that have never stepped into your love, have never repented of their sin and allow you to rule and renovate their heart. I pray that tonight they would turn to you. That the the guilt of their sin would be removed. The power of shame would begin to lose its power. And that they would be rooted and established in the love of God for them in Christ. And I pray for all of us who are in Christ tonight. That this would go from information to revelation transformation by the power of your spirit that we would know that our lives would be rooted and established in the fact that we are loved truly deeply beyond understanding and comprehension loved in Christ Tonight we're going to close with a song. We're going to do something kind of different. 
If you want to stand and sing, you can. But the song we're going to sing, I want you to receive. And so if you just want to rest and meditate on the fact that you are loved by God in Christ and let this song and this truth just sweep over you. I would ask if you don't open your mouth, will you please open your heart and allow the spirit to solidify this truth in your heart tonight. Amen. Amen. I pray that you may be rooted and established in love and have power together with all the Lord's people to know how high and how long and how wide and how deep the love of God for you is in Christ Jesus and that you would know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to his power at work within us, the church, to him be glory in his church through all generations for now and evermore. That is a mountain peak of scripture. Gaze upon the glory of his love. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace for he is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you, and he is for you. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.